Hello everyone and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. It is I. I am back in more ways than one. I am back on the internet and I'm also back in the country. I've been working and traveling and doing lots of life stuff. Most notably, I I got married and it's going pretty fantastic. I'm glad that I could finally get this up. That way I can get cracking on the last episode of the first season. Quick shout out to new patrons, Samantha Cakebread, and Moody 91 And now, without further ado, let's get into the Skyrim Audio Adventure Chapter 14. The Three Dreams. The hunter felt no comfort when they ducked back into the shelter of the tree line. He felt very little, in fact. He could not feel his fear, though he knew he must be frightened. He could not feel his zeal, though his body continued fighting. He could not feel the pack on his back, the boots on his feet, nor the burns on his hands. He could not feel the bruises from being hit, nor the cuts from being slashed. He could not feel his skin, cured and dry, nor the features of his face, crimson red and grim. He only learned of all this when they had reached the falls, and he fell onto his knees at the edge of the pool. The face, looking back at him in the gently rippling water, didn't look like his. Dried blood caked his face. It lay in streaks where it had run from his nose, mouth, ears, and eyes. Everything else was black from dirt, soot, and sloppy ichor. His furs were torn, his hair matted with sweat, and for the first time since they had begun their flight through the dead forest, he felt something. Confusion. Alarm. And regret. It flashed cold, not directed by flesh, but unbound, striking out like lightning across the fabric of existence. <laughs> knees! My knees! Where have they gone? Ah! Oh, but the bastards them have replaced them with stone hinges. Ah! Bracknell sat down hard next to him and pulled out his water skin. Finding it empty, he glanced at the pool. <sighs> oh, to oblivion with it. He panted and bent over the water, scooping handfuls into his parched mouth. Just as he had almost caught his breath, a splash startled him. The hunter was laying face down in the water. The old Nord reached for him, but the hunter had not gone inert. His arms were working hard, scrubbing the grime off his face. When he emerged, he almost looked human again, just a tad peaked. That is, until one looked into the young half-breed's eyes and saw that they were empty. Bracknell swallowed and looked around. How... how far behind is it? I don't know, the hunter said hollowly. Is it tracking us? I don't know. Are you all right? The hunter gave a deep sigh and wiped some blood out of his ear. I don't know, 
But listen. The old bowman's voice was tight. I'm so sorry. I had no idea what we'd find. I thought it would be a bunch of undead and a, a thorny wizard chanting mantras and spreading poison. Those constructs or something else entirely. Where were you? The hunter asked. Why did it take you so long to shoot it? I was delayed. There were ghouls all around the camp. I had to fight them off, and by the time I got back, shit was already glowing. I'm sorry. I don't know how many times I can say it. The hunter didn't respond. He looked at his hands and saw where the skin was angry and swelling. Bracknell cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Anything broken? No. Good. Here, drink this. Bracknell handed him a potion. After a second, the hunter took it and numbly sipped. Gods, I almost want to apologize for telling you you're ready. For introducing you to the companions and setting you on this path. But you should have seen yourself up there, lad. You fought like a thing possessed. You did yourself proud. Blast, you did the companions proud. We were just barking up the wrong tree. The hunter blew his nose into his hand, and it came away bloody. This is exactly what I wanted to avoid. I know. But you wanted to take your cuts at the world, yes? To gain the power to make a difference? How many times has this been? The hunter spoke as if not hearing. How many times has my life hung in the balance this past month? It's been nearly taken from me so many times. I can hardly tell if it's mine at all. It is yours. I've seen you fight for it. Is that what makes it mine? To earn it through combat? Is that how it works? Is that what validates it? Okay, I'll be having none of that. Oh, what, did you think I was testing you? Did you think for a second that any of this was about you? We have a job to do. We took up this task for the good of the land. The hunter cut him off with a wave of his hand. No, no, you're right. This is no time for a pity party. Yeah, precisely. And heck, if we get out of this, I'll throw you a pity party myself. The hunter huffed a tired laugh and looked at his red eyes reflected in the water. Was my whole face actually bleeding? Aye, from every orifice. I nearly fell over when I saw you up close. Huh. The hunter pulled his lip aside and examined his gums looking for the source of the bleed. What exactly did that thing do to you? I can't say for sure, the hunter said, still sounding hollow for all his apparent improvements. But I think it tried to rip my soul out of my body. Bracknell wiped his face with a shaky hand. Well, good thing I got there in time to stop it. The hunter reached a hand down to the water to drink, and saw his arm stretching away into infinity. I'm not so sure you did. Bracknell opened his mouth, and the hunter heard his voice catch. They sat there in silence for a moment. Then a hollow roar echoed to them out of the trees. Again, the hunter knew he should be terrified, but it was as if the fear had reached some physiological peak, and having nowhere else to go just faded away. He calmly filled his water skin as the Nord wiped his eyes and stood. Come on. Night will be upon us soon. 
We need to get down the mountain and get help. No, it's too fast. We won't beat it down the mountain. We can't very well hide if it's got our scent, and you falling in the water just made us easier to track. Not if we make a false trail. We don't have time, insisted Bracknell. His eyes were on the trees, and he subtly dropped his voice to keep it from carrying. Bring me a big chunk of bark and a branch. The hunter continued again as if not hearing, one with as many needles as you can manage. Bracknell shook his head and darted away as if the hunter was a lost cause, but a moment later he was back with a huge slab of black bark, freshly ripped off a corrupted tree. You're thinking of a broom, right? Right. Ah, got it. Bracknell moved off again, seeming more driven as he pieced together the plan for himself. Meanwhile, the hunter gingerly removed his furs, revealing the pale flaxen shirt underneath. It was wrinkled and riddled with various stains from effort, toil, and blood loss. But when Bracknell came back, branch in hand, he easily recognized the garb of Kinareth. You stole that, he said incredulously. Chew me out later, the hunter said, peeling the once fine fabric off of his torso. It was heavy with sweat and clung to his form. Hand me one of your arrows. Bracknell did so, and the hunter jammed the shaft through the sheet of bark. Then he carefully impaled the soggy shirt on it. The old Nord watched as this bizarre raft slowly came into being. He saw the hunter pull some twine from his pack and fumble with it for a moment. Here, he said, offering Bracknell a string. I can't feel my fingertips. Can you tie all this together? Sure. The bowman noticed the tremor in his young friend's movements as he took the raft and string. After a moment's practiced work, the raft was finished, the shirt suspended on the raised line like a tent or folded sail. No sooner was the scent lure waterworthy when that chilling roar came again, clearer, and most certainly closer. Set it in the current, and let's cross the rocks. The hunter pulled his furs on and swayed to his feet. We'll sweep over our tracks on the other side. Do you know where we're going to hide? Yeah, I've got a spot in mind. Where? Up a tree? Something like that. Where most places would have been kind enough to feel familiar upon a second passing, the Forest of Wisps was not so polite. The infernal fog had been replaced with the gloom of twilight, and again one felt lost and outflanked in the scenery. Beset by the same unnatural calm, the hunter took the landscape easily enough, counting steps and touching tree trunks as he went. Bracknell did his best to keep pace while covering their tracks, but stumbled and tripped over large roots. At times, he was following his young companion by sound alone. The hunter strode through a bramble thicket, not reacting as it pricked and pulled at him. Bracknell walked around and found the hunter standing next to a large tree with a familiar, burned-out hollow. Well, I'll be a skeever, the old Nord panted. 
This is where you fell in, right? It is, the hunter replied, not looking at him. Don't worry, we are welcome here. What are you on about? We were told as much. By who? By her, the hunter said, pointing into the night. Glowing faintly in the distance, peeking out from behind a tree, the pale lady watched them, her elven features still a mask of melancholy, her spectral hair still waving in a missing breeze. The pair blinked, and she was closer, peering at them from under a low bough but a few yards away. A sourceless whisper tickled the back of their necks as they looked into those darkly shining eyes. The hunter replied evenly, as if this was any other conversation. That you did. We found nothing worth finding. I feel it. You feel closer to us, and yet you feel closer to them. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of you. But I'm not what I was. I've slain the Baron. Even through the strange echo of the woman's voice, the pair could detect surprise. For a moment, a symphony of voices began to slither from the trees, only to be silenced with the curt motion of her hand. The hunter shook his head. I don't think so. A hollow one pursues us. We work to see the end of the beast, and of the sickness in the deep wood. Will you shelter us from this evil? The pale lady tilted her head as if considering. Please, offered Bracknell weakly. The ghostly mask remained fixed on the hunter, but broke then into a soft smile. The mouth opened slowly wider and wider, and just when it seemed the face intended to turn itself inside out, a cloud billowed forth, a silent, rolling tempest. Bracknell raised an arm and braced himself. The hunter did not. The fog curled around them and the world disappeared. There was nothing. In the fog and dark, they likely wouldn't have known that the hollow tree was there if they had not seen it prior. Come on, the hunter said, and stepped down into the hole. Bracknell followed, slipping a bit, but keeping his feet. At the bottom, he set down his pack and sat heartily, leaning against it. If this is to be our hidey hole, there's no sense starting a fire. Do you have any jerky left? No, I ate it all before the fight. Why in Nern would you do that? I don't know. I guess I was nervous. Bah, I suppose I can't blame you. I never liked the idea of dying hungry. <clears throat> I wouldn't like it. Saw a woman in Bruma starve to death a long way back. She got this uh, stomach problem. Some kind of growth of some kind. Had food and all the love and care of her husband. But she just couldn't eat. Do you have food? I have ingredients, herbs and salts. I figured we'd catch something. He looked up at the entrance. Fat chance of that now. Guess we're going hungry for the night. Are you nervous? Depends on how much you trust these spirits. I trust them enough, 
They have no reason to harm us. What has reason got to do with it? Ghouls and ghosties drawing lines and picking sides, blast. I think we've seen stranger today. Mm. Speaking of which, let me see your hands. The hunter didn't offer them. Rather, Bracknell snatched them up to examine them, running his fingers over them lightly. Goodness me, I practically cured them. So much for not having jerky. Will I lose them? No, no, nothing so dramatic. Your calluses saved you a bit. But you're going to lose that skin. No potion can stop that. <sighs> Damn. The hunter muttered, looking at the angry red flesh. Come for a slight, we need to sneak our way out of here and get help. Soldiers and guards will be hard to come by, like you said. And, and we have no money to make a bounty. I suspect anyone else who is familiar enough with the area to raise a hand in its defense was in that pile up there. Or walking with the wisps. Then we'll take a couple weeks and try again. We'll beg anyone we can. Maybe Ayala can get some of the companions to pitch in. When we're armed and mended, we'll get back up there and deal with whatever the necromancer has cooked up in the meantime. The hunter shook his head slowly. We won't find the necromancer there. There were no living souls. Bracknell squinted at the hunter. How do you know? The half-breed shrugged. I didn't see any. The old Nord leaned forward. What an oblivion is happening to you. What did you mean you're not what you were? The hunter was considering his augmented hand, flexing it deliberately. Then he peered back at his friend, and just for a moment suspicion flashed across his face. But it was gone like the passing of a cloud across a cold sun, and the hunter's eyes were distant again. Did you ever play that game when you were a kid? Which one? The hunter took up a stone and balanced it on the back of his hand. You take a boiled egg and balance it on a plate. And you try to run from one place to another without dropping it. Everyone else can do anything to make you drop it as long as they don't touch you or the plate. And you, you can do anything to avoid it as long as you don't grab the egg. The game sounds familiar, but I can't say I've ever played. I know some people who would come up with stakes and bets to make the game more interesting, but we never did. Who are we to argue with the pure drama of breakfast on the ground? Okay, but what does the egg have to do with this? I am the egg, the hunter said bizarrely, and I am also the plate. I feel like I'm rolling around, slipping and drifting in my own flesh. And every now and then, he tilted his hand and let the stone fall onto the ground. He and Bracknell looked at it for a moment as it sat there. I'm seeing things that I shouldn't from places I am not. I'm feeling things I can't describe, and I'm numb to all the things that I can. I have to work to keep myself centered. But it's getting worse. Time is so slow. It took me nine tries to pick up that stone, though I bet you only saw the one. I didn't get my soul trapped, but I fear I've become unmoored. That's what I meant when I was talking to the pale lady. I don't know why, but I can suddenly feel their fear. The necromancer would consume them for power, and so, those who could, came here. And now so have we. Bracknell nodded slowly, trying not to let the outrageousness of what had just been said shake him. Okay. What do we... can we, uh, do to fix it? Uh, uh, you fix you. I don't know. 
the hunter said dryly. Think a drink will help? I'm already drinking water. And the potion. No, I mean a drink. Here. Bracknell turned and opened his pack. After a moment's rummaging, he emerged with a pair of bottles. I brought a couple ales so we could celebrate after we took care of the necromancer. Don't want to let them go to waste. The hunter was so flabbergasted, a numb eyebrow rose. Where in oblivion did you get those? The sleeping giant, where else? No, I mean, how did you transport them? I didn't hear any clinking in that bag. I shed it before, you don't know how to store a shite. You'll have to enlighten me once we get out of this, said the hunter, reaching out and taking the bottle he was offered. Or, if we get out of this. To his surprise, the bottle was chilled. He could tell by the small ice crystals flaking the outside. However, in this stuffy forest of the dead, he was not about to complain about a cool drink. Cheers, Bracknell said, removing the cork and doffing his brew. To you and your pessimistic arsh. The hunter tipped his drink in return. And to you, you crazy Nord bastard. I bet there's some Nordic idiom about this. It's never a bad time for a drink in Skyrim or some such thing. Well, it's less of a saying and more of a vital law of life here. You'll never guess how many folk, even wildlings like us, keep an extra drop of something on them. The hunter nodded along and took a swig. As an Imperial, I'm amused. As a Nord, I'm almost proud. The pair drank in sore, aching contentment. The hunter was ecstatic. He could feel the cool drink working down his throat and reinvigorating his senses. Maybe he was wrong and this would pass like an illness. With that, he fixed Bracknell with a sudden piercing glare. I'm curious. What has you convinced that the necromancer is up on that mountain? Bracknell was taken aback. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? That's where the poison is coming from. That's where the corruption is. Yes, but there was something else, remember? We weren't this certain earlier today. The old Nord ran a hand across his brow. No, I remember being confused, but now I can't remember why. Neither can I, said the hunter looking at his hand again. But every time I try to think about it, my hand hurts. Even now, when I can barely feel anything, I can feel that. Must be in a lot of pain. Yep. And when was the last time it was in that kind of pain? Bracknell took a sip and rocked back and thought, I imagine the day you lost it. Exactly, said the hunter bitterly. The day it was cut off by a blood-sucking fiend who had just been messing around inside my head. Bracknell's jaw went slack. So... What you're saying is... What if it's not my finger that's the problem? What if it's my mind? Your body is remembering. It's trying to tell you what's wrong. And if something's wrong with me, there's probably something wrong with you too. Bracknell's eyes widened. Someone's in our hedge. Oh, not just someone. The necromancer. Just then, a crunch of branches sounded in the distance. The pair froze like deer and wordlessly turned their heads to the opening of the hollow. The silence of the fog dampened all sound, even their own breath. Neither of them were certain that they'd heard the sound at all. And still, they listened. Then, 
Rumbling out of the night like a nightmare encroaching on the mind came those dreadfully familiar steps. It started as a low, rhythmic pulse, but before long the hunter could feel the thuds in the wall of the hollow. The abomination was practically on top of them. Pine needles shifted and scattered as the thing rooted around and pawed the ground. They heard the sound of tree bark ripping as a nearby trunk was gripped by fearsome claws. Neither dared to breathe as the sounds of movement grew clearer and clearer. Then, in the gloom outside the hollow, the faintest of shapes appeared. The jagged points of antlers and the ridges of high vertebrae. The beast loped along but a stone's throw away from them. It stopped and turned its head as if scanning. It was unclear if it was searching by smell, sight, sound, or something else. They heard no sniffing, nor baying, nor even breathing. They heard nothing at all that indicated that the thing even had lungs. This made it all the more chilling when the jaw flopped open with the scrape of bone on bone and it bellowed its high call into the night. The two bowmen glanced at each other. For one mad second, the hunter thought they were about to take a drink. Couldn't make their situation any worse, could it? Then he felt the breath on his neck. He looked back to see none other than the pale lady, her head and torso protruding oddly from the dirt and wood of the hollow. Her elf features were no longer dour. They were split into a mad, wide-eyed grin. She whispered. He stifled a startled shout and stammered, I, I, what? A ghostly hand shot to his chest, and suddenly he was pulled away. Before he knew it, the trees were rushing by, whizzing past his ears as he flew through the forest with a speed unknown to man and beast alike. The trunks appeared out of the fog and disappeared behind him in the same beat of a fly's wing. He wanted to wail, but the wind was rushing into his mouth too fast for him to get any sound out. The stars descended from the sky and danced around him, wheeling and bursting in the deep wood. A huge tree came up before him and he was diving for the base. He dry heaved and fell forward onto the dirt. Stranger? Came Bracknell's voice. What's going on? The hunter hissed, dragging himself back into a sitting position. It'll hear us. I doubt that. It's gone off. What? Did you miss it? It was about a minute ago. Some wisps popped in and flitted about. Then the damn thing just took off running. You're kidding. I'm not. Are you alright? The hunter just looked at him wide-eyed and haggard. The old Nord nodded. I just realized how stupid that sounded. The hunter ran his hands down his face and looked for his drink. It had spilled onto its side, but there were still a few good draws to take. He snatched it up and took them. Bracknell eyed him cautiously and followed suit. Ah, fuck me sideways. What were we talking about? We were talking about our minds being off wrong somehow. The hunter sniffed hard as if trying to clear his sinuses. Ah, shit, you want to start from A and go to Z? What we should be starting with is a priest. Or a wizard we really trust. Off the table. Of course. It's practically an oxymoron with you. You're an oxymoron. Nice, Brack. Nice. The hunter shook his head, ears ringing. He was so very tired, 
and given how detached he felt from his body, this fatigue ran deep. He shifted his weight to lay back against the wall of the hollow, eyes still trained fruitlessly on the opening. He felt something poke his back and twisted to look, but the dark of night was upon them and his eyes wouldn't pierce it. He felt for it and his hand brushed across a firm fleshy plate that seemed to be protruding from the wood itself. Hey, I think there's a shelf mushroom sticking out of this tree. Bracknell emptied his ale and squinted at the hunter, licking his lips. Aye, that there is. Artist's conk as I reckon. Does it do anything? It eats decaying wood and makes you mildly sick if you eat it. The taste is terrible, as I've heard. The hunter felt around the shelf again. It's almost as hard as the wood itself. Not like that. He trailed off as a thought struck him. Do you still have some of those mushrooms? Bracknell paused in the process of pulling out his own bedding. You mean the Mora Tapanella? Yeah, what did that do? I remember you said the cab was good for energy and the black stuff would kill me. What else was there? Bracknell rubbed his neck uneasily. Well, the neck, frills, and spores all have properties that affect the mind. The neck acts more on the senses, making you more aware and adept. The frills and spores seem to expand the mind in far more esoteric ways. Mages and holy men have been known to make elixirs out of it. Clears their heads and strengthens their bond to Aetherius. Or so they say. Those elixirs don't get around much. Only man I ever saw take some started having visions and went a bit mental. Was he different afterwards? Not terribly. Took him a week or so to get right, but he was fine. What are you thinking? What are the odds that it could break a spell? A spell? Unrefined raw spores and frills, it'll break your mind, I promise that. That ship has sailed. For both of us. Why not try? It sounded like a joke. It sounded like so many of those little jabs the two were always throwing at each other. But as their eyes began to adjust to the dark, they both saw the other was dead serious. I just want to point out, said Bracknell, counting on his fingers. Injured, soul torn, healing potion, alcohol, empty stomach, and now psychoactive mushrooms. I understand, but if we don't find a way back to our full faculties, I don't see us getting off this mountain. Ah, whatever happened to a good night's sleep? It got torn up by the beast. Nothing but blackness was reflected in the pair's eyes as they measured each other. After a moment, the old Nord shrugged and pulled up his back. Here, he said after a quick rummage, and tossed a couple frill-filled caps to the hunter. Take it with water. Are you taking it too? I've got to, the Nord said, pulling out more for himself. We don't know how the spell works. If you break free and I don't, who's to say I don't try to kill you? Is that a possibility? Almost anything is possible with magic. It just depends on what the mage in question is capable of. The hunter nodded. The idea had occurred to him as well, but he had written it off as paranoia. Well, they're proficient at monster making. I can say that much. You got your water? Yeah, I got it. Do as I do. Bracknell said and scooped out the frills and spores with a quick circular motion. The hunter followed suit, 
and the old Nord raised his finger as if they were toasting again. To our poor hedge. May they stay on our shoulders. The hunter matched him. For another week at least. Bracknell stuck the finger in his mouth and swallowed. Hmm, month more like. The hunter took the frills as well. Don't get too ambitious. This is Skyrim. About an hour later, the pair lay across from each other in the hollow. Bracknell was as far to the back as he could get, curled up between the wall and his pack. Meanwhile, the hunter was laying back on the slope that led into the tree. He had come here hoping to find a breeze snaking through from the outside, hoping the woods would grant him just a huff, a small, sighing breath to cool his throbbing head. Yet all he found was a familiar view. Staring straight up, he could just barely see the trunks of the trees reaching for the sky somewhere above this labyrinth, reaching to starlight and moon glow. Sleep should have come easily to him in this dreamlike space, but it didn't. The fatigue for all its potency was too far away from him as he flickered in and out of his physical form. He flexed hard, trying to anchor himself in his flesh, but still the world slipped out of his grasp. It was this ceaseless battle for order that kept his mind racing and rummaging around inside and out, looking for any solution. His thoughts reached down into the roots, feeling the life essence of the decrepit forest still thrumming in the earth like a pulse beneath the skin. He snapped back into himself and was instantly bored enough to start counting the vague outlines of trunks around him. One, two, three... Four, five, six. Are you asleep? Came the agitated voice of his companion. Go to sleep, Brack, he grumbled. But shall know then. What's got you up? The more tapinella kicking in? No. Uh, nothing yet. You? I, uh... I don't think I'd know if it was. Oh, you'd know. Your gums will go a little pale. My gums? The hunter rolled his tongue around in his mouth. Hmm. Shame we don't have a mirror. Or light. You'll feel it eventually. The dryness and then, uh... Oh, numbness. The hunter heard his companion trail off and shift around. Then the old man chuckled to himself. What is it? <laughs> Nothing. You just reminded me of something. Forget it. Uh, go to sleep. Nah, you've piqued my interest now. I could do with a bedtime story. What you want me to tuck you into? The hunter glanced down at his bedroll in the dirt. I mean, if you can figure out how, then be my guest. He heard the old man sigh, and a pack of crickets took up the call in the following silence. After a thoughtful moment, Bracknell began. Ah, uh, well, when you said mirror, it just uh, reminded me, uh, he cleared his throat. <coughs> when Ayella was younger, I played a little joke. You see, she was always a spirited little thing, took after her mother. 
and while her mother was a huntress of great renown and quite well respected, she was far from being a lady. Nord women are known for being hardy and elegant in equal measure. But even then, walking around covered in dirt and blood was a shade eccentric by the standards of the Wind District. This makes so much sense now, the hunter mumbled. Bracknell smiled and continued. Ayla followed right in her footsteps. She was a scrappy little pup, always in trouble with someone over something. Anyway, one day this kid threw mud at her head. She, of course, pummeled him and his friends into a sniveling mess. Next thing I know, she wanders into the hall, twigs in her hair, red on her knuckles, and mud still on her face. She wanders into one of the shield maiden's quarters, and just sits, looking at herself in the mirror. I gave her some time, then went in and asked her what happened. Apparently, one of those kids said they only did it because she was always walking around looking such a wreck they assumed it was on purpose. No wonder they got the piss kicked out of them. I didn't know what to say, so I just waffled on about appearance and how we're seen by those around us, and... And somehow, the thought came to me to tell her that she couldn't be that much of a wreck, because if she was, then the mirror would break when she looked into it. The hunter quirked an eyebrow at the sky. How did she take that? The old Nord gave a wheezing cackle. <laughs> How do you think? She looked in the mirror, smeared the mud all around her face, and looked again. Then she went home, and her mother had to deal with her checking the mirror constantly. Of course, eventually, she turned it into a challenge, and started trying to break the mirror with only her face. She would pull every bizarre expression imaginable. She'd roll her eyes around and tug at her lips. Poor mother thought she was possessed. <laughs> One day I saw her take a plate of food over to the mirror and chew it up all opened mouth and messy. It didn't last long, but she never worried about her appearance again. And my word did I get some mileage out of that. The hunter was too haggard to laugh properly, but he smiled. Somewhere in his mind's eye he saw little Ayala running about getting into trouble. For some reason he imagined her already sporting those three streaks of paint across her face. He looked up at the fog above him, and blinked, his vision beginning to go dark at the edges. He counted the trees again. One, two, three, four, five, six. Black, darker than the darkest night, deeper than the deepest sea. He reached for the ground and found only space. Technicolor bubbles of pink and blue burst before his eyes, but he could not see them. He only knew that they were there by the voice of his heart. Motion. Massive, irresistible sent him tumbling through the void. He spun and flipped, yet felt no discomfort nor nausea. Wind did not blow, gravity did not pull. He was as comfortable as if he were standing still, though he knew he wasn't. The flickering lights in his mind pooled to a glow, 
and blinked out. Then came a voice. Well, well. I do believe I recognize you. The sound was so great he thought it might shake him to pieces. The waves struck him from all directions, bombarding him with the force of a falling star. He put out his hands as if to brace against the voice. It was so crushingly solid as he pushed back that he found he was gathering his feet and standing atop the sound. Everything around him was dark stone. He stumbled awkwardly, his legs getting used to his weight again as if they hadn't carried it for years. In the dim, a spark flickered and died. With a distinct click, it came again, and by its briefest of lights, the hunter saw a familiar sight, a pair of hands gripping flint. At the third strike, a flame burst forth, not lighting a torch, but seeming to light a figure into being. The flame rushed upwards with a whoosh and spent itself like flash paper but standing where it had just blazed was a glowing figure, loosely wrapped in a deep red doublet. It was a man, not quite like any he'd seen before. His cloth was fine, but action-ready. His face was sure and confident. His nose was straight with just the faintest hint of a hook. His jaw was square and strong, his chin prominent under thin lips. His shoulder-length hair was a soft brown that framed bright blue eyes. He looked imperial, Colovian to be precise. Except all his features, even his clothes were alight with a deep golden glow, as though his body housed the setting sun. The man strode forward easily and clapped him on the shoulders. I was right! It is you! It's great to see you again! The hunter felt he should respond, but his voice came out a directionless murmur, more of a sigh than anything resembling speech. Uh, uh, uh. How long has it been? You've certainly grown quite a lot. You look... Well, you look terrible, but that's neither here nor there. I'm sorry, but do we know each other? The man turned him around and started marching him off into the black arm around his shoulder. Oh, yes, we've met before. I just don't think it was me that you met. The hunter shook his head, trying to piece that out. W wait. He turned, shrugging off the arm, trying to reach his gaze out to his surroundings. Where am I? How did I get here? The two strong hands found his shoulders again and firmly ushered him onward. You are somewhere you shouldn't be, and I must leave it at that for the sake of your own sanity. As to how you got here, only you would know that. But I can certainly say you've got the neck. I remember how you gave everyone such a start last time, like a rat running through a temple. I'm sorry, the hunter said, apologizing awkwardly. I really don't remember. Who are you? The man paused and offered him a kind smile. You can call me Martin. The hunter blinked. You can call me Stranger. Oh, it's changed! How fun! And the pair kept walking. Where are we going? Just getting you back where you should be. If I'm not wrong, it's right around... The man faltered, staring ahead. The hunter followed his gaze to see a wide wall of blackened stone, lit by the man's glowing presence. Into that stone was carved a vast and intricate scene of conflict. He saw towers crumbling, he saw armored men clashing, and in the center of this meticulously realized mural, 
he saw a beast. Black-scaled, wings spread wide blanketing the sky, jagged horned head reared back in a silent roar. What's this doing here? said the man calling himself Martin. The hunter looked over to his strange glowing companion. The man's face was stoic, but his eyes were squinted as if he were trying to solve a puzzle. Then a small smile curled its way onto his lips. Ah. The wheel turns again. Brother makes war with brother. The night makes war with the dawn. My blood makes war with itself. And my firstborn hungers. And so the wheel turns. The man looked up beyond the wall. I do wonder what lies beyond that horizon. He turned to look at the hunter and a myriad of emotions flashed across his face, like color flashing between the wings of a butterfly. It started with what the hunter could only call crestfallen, but then settled into a soft smile. Come, let's get you back. What is all this? This is none of your concern. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Martin raised a hand and the scene split. The stone swung open like double doors and bright white light rushed into the dark, carrying with it a bitter frost. The hunter raised a hand and braced against the biting wind. Besides, you have problems of your own by the looks of it. Keep your head up. And good luck. Wait! The hunter called, turning back to the man, but he was gone along with the darkness. All was white out and freezing cold. The blizzard had found him again. The wind was strong enough to knock him to his knees, but he stood fighting through it. He trudged forward, or he hoped he did, for what did direction mean in a place like this? The snowflakes were volleys of arrows riding the air, pelting his front. Hello! He called into the storm. His voice was being buffeted back to him, making it inaudible even to his own ears. As if in answer, a gust swept him up, almost tossing him into the air. His feet slipped and he fell into a snowbank. He wheeled his arms, almost swimming to stay atop the icy powder. Why was he here? What was he doing? His face stung as frost crept into his ears and nose. If he didn't move, he would be buried in an instant. He fought to his feet and was hit full force by a wall of snow. It caked his front and he spun, letting the same wind that brought it fleck it away. He kept moving in what he hoped was the right direction, but he was less and less certain. Where was she? She can't have gone that far. Joe! He called desperately. Joe! The blizzard would leave no challenge unanswered. Somewhere high above and deep below, he heard a crack, like the earth was splitting. Suddenly the ground beneath him lurched, shifted, and began to slide. He flung his arms around, looking for purchase, but there was none. Everything was rolling and falling below, along, and over him. The avalanche roared and swallowed him whole. Father! He screamed as the snow flew into his mouth. Mother! He barely got the second word out before he was crushed to dust by the force of the mountains. His world went dark once more, and he floated along, reduced to nothing but particles drifting atop a vague consciousness. He felt nothing but the infinite scattering of raw nerves, 
the dust swirled, bounced, and settled into the dirt. At the tips of his fingers, he felt the dirt. He felt the solid earth beneath his back and the cool air of the deep night in his lungs. He opened his eyes. The trees reached up around him as they had in the evening before. Sweat cooled on his brow, and his lips and mouth felt swollen and dry. The crickets played somber, slow notes somewhere beyond the fold of his reality. He wanted to lick his lips, but he couldn't. His tongue wouldn't respond. He reached up to his mouth, but the arm wouldn't move. Had it gotten worse? He strained hard to sit up, but it was like a weight was sitting on his chest. He strained harder and popped up. All at once he was loose and free. He felt momentary relief until he looked back and saw his own body still lying half atop his bedroll. Swiftly he lay down, terror gripping him so tight he was almost scared to breathe in case that had stopped working too. After a minute of lying there in silent anguish, he felt the air gently trickle into his lungs with the cool of a glacial stream. Again he tried to stand, this time moving relaxed and slow. All he managed was a twitch of an ankle. Was this it, then? Would he lay here till time ran itself out, unable to move, too scared to free himself? His calming breaths melted into quiet sobs, and the trees above him melted with the tears in his eyes. His world twisted and blurred, and while his face could not but appear stoically still, he wept. Suddenly, through the tears, he saw something move in the foggy canopy. He blinked as rapidly as he could, trying to clear his eyes, but he could do nothing about the gloom. High above, odd, spindly shapes shifted and whipped just beyond the range of his sight. Then, with the deep, hollow popping and creaking of wood, a shape the size of a carriage came falling straight towards him. It was not unheard of for the thin tops of trees to be snapped off by a high gust of wind, but he never thought that it would be the root of his demise. Still dreadfully inert, he watched in quiet horror as the shape descended. Then in confusion, as it started slowing down, a wooden mass resembling a splintered section of a mighty fir loomed into focus above him. It hung there strangely for a moment, all brown bark with veins of green moss and lichen running across the cracked surface. Then with a sound like an old stuck drawer, a pair of eyes snapped open. The hunter blinked. The eyes blinked back, huge and dark throughout like an animal's. It was then he saw the sloping shoulders and torso stretching up into the gray. They too were gnarled wood and bark, curled knobs and swollen galls like the imperfections of skin and hair. A bird's nest was resting in a branch to the right. To his eyes, the branch had twisted like an outstretched arm, gently bearing the nest aloft, like one who bends down makes sure not to spill their cup. As his eyes met the dark orbs of this strange timber giant, a voice came to him. It was not loud nor soft, for it was not heard. No chamber articulated words, no rumble shook the forest, it simply was there, clear as his own thoughts, if not clearer. It was not cruel, nor kind, nor earnest. 
It was an even thing, a balanced thing, a voice meant to stand for millennia. Hi there, it said simply. The hunter gave a particularly squeaky breath in return. He thought it a pathetic sound, but felt the entity nod calmly. If a voice could nod at all, its wooden head didn't actually move. Sundered, like so many I've seen, but not yet lost. This is good. The thing blinked at him in a way he found equal parts endearing and disquieting. I know your spirit. My lady told me of you some years ago, and I marked your arrival on the far side of the lake. I've known the days when you'd walk in my woods, and I felt your footprints through the creatures on my roots. I saw you struggle through storms and hunger and isolation. Never once did I move to help you, nor should I. It is not in my nature. The wooden head tilted to the side, slowly and with many creaks and pops. My lady, however, has taken a liking to you. A blue butterfly fluttered by in the space between them, before alighting on the gnarled crests atop the giant's head. She's seen you work against the thoughtless and seek balance with the land. She seems to think you'll be the one to beat back this putrefaction. Looking at you now, I'm not so sure. The hunter tried to shake himself, body and mind, as a child shakes away a nightmare. But the apparition persisted. Then his eyes widened as a massive hand, woven from branches and creepers, came out of the fog alongside the head and reached for him. He closed his eyes in fear as the voice continued. But I know this. You can no longer be broken. You will need to be one and whole for what comes next. Beyond his closed eyelids, a light burst forth in the dark. Warmth sprung up from the roots below. It crept and crawled over him, burrowed deep into his flesh, and blew the spark within into an inferno. A burn bereft of pain welled up like a river overflowing its banks. His eyes shot open, only to see bright white and gold. Stars of black and blue burst into life, lived and died in an instant. He felt some unseen hand fussing at his mind, like a quilter fusses at cloth and thread. A black star burst before him, and as it died, he was pulled into it. Gasping to life, he sat up slightly. His eyes were blind in the shadow of the hand, but the distant song of the night crickets suddenly felt sharp and present. As the bizarre tree giant ascended and was slowly swallowed by the gloom, he saw several wisps of dark smoke rising from his prone form. His arms jumped into action. He patted all over himself, feeling for a flame or burn or wound of any kind. There was nothing. No pain only the acute tactile response of his nerves to stimuli. He was back. Somehow, some way, he was back. No sooner had the panic begun to drain out of him did a profound exhaustion take hold. His eyes unfocused and began to drift closed. Suddenly, a dark raggedy shape flew through his periphery. 
He was up and sprinting after it in an instant. Like a stone dropping into a lake, the details of the present parted and crashed together, enveloping him once more. He was in the Forest of Wisps recovering from a hard fight. Somewhere, a necromantic construct, some dread golem was hunting him and his friend Bracknell, who was running off away from their hiding place, likely under the effects of Mora Tabanella. He sprinted through the fog. Roots and branches attempted to waylay him, but he shrugged them off with renewed vigor. Bracknell was lost in the haze, but the hunter could follow him by the echoey sound of wailing. It wasn't long before he'd caught up. His friend was flailing his arms around and stumbling aimlessly, his mad rush seeming to break upon the rocks of despair. He sobbed. The hunter rushed in front of him and grabbed his shoulders. Brack, snap out of it. It's not real. The old man's face was a stony mask of anguish. No! I'm sorry! Ayo is not here. Come on, we need to get back. The hunter felt the old Nord's cry deep in his heart. It was the inconsolable sobbing of a man with a life so heavy with regret his footsteps could sink the mightiest of ships. The hunter looked around nervously and spotted a broken branch, a sign of the route they'd taken. It's all a dream. It's all a dream, the hunter offered, trying to subtly steer the Nord back the way they'd come. No! No! Bracknell said, now sounding all too present. Even if I were to take up vigil at the gates of Shalingard, I'd never see them again. A watch an ending to a misty night, my heart lost in the depths of the heavens. The hunter's heart broke then, just a little. It was like he was seeing the old hound for the first time. He felt like he knew so little, but understood so much. He had just been sent reeling through the depths of his mind, yet for every esoteric vision or demon of the past he faced, his friend would face that tenfold. With nothing left to do, he threw his arms around Bracknell and hugged him with all the tenderness he could muster. The Nord squeezed his ribs in return before the grief became too heavy for him, and the pair sank to their knees. Through Bracknell's wails, the hunter could hear a distant ripping and rumbling sound. It grew into a deafening cacophony of snaps and low pops. As his friend clung to him, the titan of the trees once again spoke into his mind. Sleep while you can, it said. The wretch approaches once more. I will delay it, but you must leave by first light. Make haste, little one. The hunter looked up and around. Seeing nothing, he muttered, Okay, and carefully guided Bracknell back to the hollow. In the crisp hours of pre-dawn, the hunter roused Bracknell, and they set about packing their things. Like the morning before, they were largely silent. The difference being that back then, neither quite knew what to say. And now, there was so little left to say. The hunter eventually broke the silence with basic pleasantries. How are you feeling? Uh, like I challenged a mountain goat to a headbutting contest. And lost? Would it make a difference? 
Only to the goat, I suppose. Sleep did more for you, it seems. Bracknell looked at him evenly. By Talos, you look bright and driven. I feel it, the hunter said, rolling his shoulder experimentally. This is the best I've felt in years. The old Nord shook his head. Youth. The hunter chuckled as he hoisted his pack onto his back and checked all his armaments. Then he said, with a tone that did not carry the weight of his question, Do you remember? Aye, I do. The spell is lifted. Then you know where we're going. Bracknell sighed, ran his fingers through his thinning hair, and stood, shouldering his pack as well. The first thing we were made to forget was the fact that the salmon are missing from the river, but the slaughterfish in the lake are fine. The hunter nodded, which, assuming downhill flow, indicates a point source somewhere along the river. The putrefaction was never the cause, it was only ever another symptom. Of who? The person who told us to climb the mountain in the first place. Anish. <sighs> yeah. I think it's safe to say our warning never made it back to Riverwood. Aye, I chase o. The two of them climbed the slope out of the hollow and into the woods. The fog had gone and was replaced by a far more natural morning haze. The hunter looked around, remembering counting nearby trunks the previous night. They looked much kinder now in the cool light, even with the blackened edges. Why do you think she did this? I don't know, and I don't rightly care. She needs to go. Right, said the hunter, a bit distracted as he looked at the trees. One, two, three, four. He blinked, recounted, looked up, then shrugged. Okay. Let's crack on, then. With that, the two took off, low and quiet in the early morning. Finally now, to find an end to this wicked ordeal. To find revenge for all the former denizens, savory or otherwise, who once dwelled in these woods on the far side of the lake. Fears had been met, surpassed, and pushed far beyond recall. They moved, watchful, but unwavering. Resting in their hearts was purpose. Waiting in their hands was death. Thank you for listening to the Skyrim Audio Adventure Chapter 14. Special thanks to my mom for providing the voice to the big tree giant, and also to Brenda Schmid for reprising her role as the Pale Lady. I'm so glad to get this out, not just because it's been a while since I've released anything, but also because now I get to work on Chapter 15, and oh, I have been looking forward to this so much, you have no idea, and I am just so psyched. It's going to be the finale to this season, and I will keep you guys posted. I am thrilled. I hope you will be too. And if you want to lend your voice to this show, reach out to me on my Discord. Also, you can check there for any updates. I, I tend to give you just updates now and again of uh, how close I am to releasing something. 
Also, if you have any Skyrim memes or any other such esoteric hilarity, you can share it there. I'm here for it. It's all in good fun. Now, everyone out there, COVID is on a bit of an uptick. I know because I have it. And, you know, just stay safe and stay well, everyone. I'll see you in the next chapter. And until then, I say once again, thanks for listening.